Welcome to the Matters of Movement podcast. I am your host, Christina Whalen Chabot. Join me as we explore all the things that impact our movement experience so that we can all strive to move better to feel better. As I interview movement experts, therapists, researchers, and more. Today, we are welcoming Jeanette Yi to the podcast. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me on, Christina. I'm so excited. So Jeanette Yi is a perinatal therapist with a background in athletic therapy and massage therapy. She works with athletic birth parents who share her belief, confidence and strength in your body during pregnancy and after childbirth is a right, not a privilege. In response to suboptimal public perinatal health care, Jeanette created the Proactive Moms Method a simple 13 exercise perinatal postpartum program. Using this method, birth parents learn to stay active during pregnancy and return to pain-free sports after childbirth. Jeanette is best known for her two groundbreaking online cesarean recovery programs. In them, moms learn the essential skills of scar massage and exercise to optimize recovery. These courses focus on the psychology of healing, painful sex, preventing the C-section shelf, and safe return to sport. One is designed for all moms and the other is for athletes. Jeanette fills her days with mandatory playtime with her kids aged three and six while training for her return to competitive running. Her 15-year rugby career was recently recognized with a team induction into the Rugby Ontario Hall of Fame. Awesome. So good. Yay. So we have so much to talk about. I actually, this past year, took a course in postpartum and pregnancy recovery. And so it's a topic I'm very passionate about, and I know you are too. So I feel like this is going to be a great conversation. Very cool. Yes. Yes. There's certain, in my opinion, I just don't think there is enough continuing education out there, especially for individuals who want to take more coursework. I, I, anyways, I think that's neither here nor there. I think it's just amazing that there is passion for this working with this particular population. And I mean, one of the things that you touched on in your bio was the fact that there is suboptimal public perinatal health care. You know, I've had three children and I went the route of the midwife all three times, you know, and even with what I feel was a really wonderful method for me personally and for our family, I did not get good postpartum care. It just, you know, falls apart after. And so you're really left to look for this information on your own, if you even know to. So talk to me about your opinion on this. I just, I feel that's just such a, unfortunately, such a common comment, Christina. And I'm, you know, I want to acknowledge that you have gone through that. And I'm sorry, that was your experience, you know, honestly, we live in Canada, we live in a wonderful country with public health care. It is fantastic that we do have access to health care, but it's, it's not perfect. And certainly, you know, for any Canadians here, they would agree that this is a health care sort of structure based on disease, as opposed to wellness, meaning it's a reactive health care, not a preventative health care. And what I mean by that with regards to childbirth is that, yeah, childbirth is an injury and you need care for that. And I I think people just think, oh, well, you know, it's kind of like, it's natural, whatever. Let's make sure the baby's okay. Hey, I guess the mom's okay. And after that six week checkup, 
which for the past year and a half has been via a phone call, not even in person, yeah. right? Is uh, it's just it's just not good enough. It's not good enough. Not for me. Not for any of my athletes that I work with. And you know, Christina, you and I, you know, I always say, listen, we are healthcare practitioners. We speak English well. We understand how to navigate our healthcare system, and still, you and I share that experience of, you know, in our postpartum period, no, we really felt it was not optimal. It was not optimal. Mm -hmm. So I think that was really made clear to me after I was pregnant for my first time. And I was like, (laughs) honest to God, what is going on here? Why do I feel like a number? Why am I made to wait for an hour for my doctor for a two minute appointment? Why am I seeing five different doctors? I don't even know what's going on. No one's taking the time to tell me. Um, anyways, it just really drove home the fact that despite practicing, you know, I, I'm an athletic therapist. I've been practicing since 2003. I worked with all manner of sports. Uh, the athletes I focused on were, you know, female runners and female rugby athletes. But my God, after that experience, I was like, no, no, no. The most hardcore athlete is a mother and the biggest injury mm-hmm. is childbirth. Yeah. I work with rugby athletes. Like there are some major injuries. I played rugby for 15 years. I have myself experienced some major injuries. Nothing compares to being humbled by childbirth, both physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think when we were going over what to talk about, you talked about the amount of time that would be required to recover from childbirth. And yes. so I want to get into it because, you know, there's natural childbirth and then there's the alternative equally as good cesarean birth and which is a massive abdominal surgery. So let's talk about that and talk about what rehab looks like for cesarean birth. Yes. Well, you know, vaginal birth, although is the way the body would naturally birth a baby still takes months and months and months after the fact Mm -hmm. a cesarean birth. I say to my cesarean athletes, I say, Listen, your rehab is going to be X number of months plus six weeks. You're always kind of going to be six weeks behind your vaginal birth sisters. Yeah. Just because for the first six weeks, you you couldn't and you shouldn't really do very much because you just got to make sure those incisions heal. And then on top of that, every body is different. I could probably easily say, and people have probably heard this too, you know, nine months in, nine months out kind of deal, right? It takes nine <laughs> months to grow a human, but it takes nine months to recover from growing that human. You know, I, I kind of like that, but it's, di- it's so different for everybody. Mm-hmm. And the problem that I find that we run into very often is, you know, we get in our minds how long it should take. Mm-hmm. And when we're not on that timeline, we're behind, we're not hitting the milestones, we get so overwhelmed it's already a time of such overwhelm. I mean, you have three kids for goodness sakes, right? And Mm -hmm. you know, the first kid, you're completely just, it's brand new. It's a complete identity change on so many different levels. And then for subsequent children, you know, you're contending with your body healing, keeping an infant alive and a toddler who very much still wants to spend time with mom. And, you know, there might be a spouse involved. I mean, that's just a tertiary thing at this point. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah, When you say healing, how long does it take? You know, I always talk about the physical healing, but also that mental and emotional aspect too. And again, that can be extremely different for everybody. For, I know for myself, I went through postpartum depression twice. 
First time, not diagnosed, like not helped. I didn't get help for it. Second time I did, I am almost four years postpartum after my second child. And I think I'm coming out the other end just now. Okay. Four years, right? So, and it's so different for everybody, Christina. Mm -hmm. That was my long-winded answer to your question. No, no, absolutely. (laughs) It's, I mean, I really love that you touch on, you know, the whole spectrum, the physical and the emotional and, you know, the mental recovery because it really is just, it really is just the whole package becoming a mother or becoming a parent. It really is life-changing. And even when you have subsequent babies, you know, the second or third, or, you know, for those who have even more children, Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's just so much that comes out of it. And especially when you go to seek out help and you don't get the help that you are looking for, whether it's emotionally and, you know, mentally, or even physically, that can be really a a big struggle. Sometimes it can be hard to even reach out for help in the first place. Yes. But let's talk about that for a second. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm an athletic therapist, so I provide primarily physical help, Mm -hmm. rehabilitation from childbirth, which is an injury. And where do you start even looking for that? I think intuitively, everybody who's given birth probably says, okay, stuff isn't working the way it used to. I should probably get help for this. I'm sure my doctor or midwife will tell me if I need it. That is the first assumption, which is an incorrect assumption. And again, lucky that we live in Canada, that we have public health care, but it is so suboptimal. Quite frankly, our healthcare system is not designed for physical rehabilitation after childbirth. Very, very infrequently is that even mentioned. And for those that are mentioned, even a smaller percentage of that, you know, those physicians or midwives give recommendations or referrals. Hey, you might want to talk to this person. Hey, here's some great resources. It's just not a standard practice. Yeah. So, you know, yes, a birth parent might say, okay, I, I think I need help. Then I ask for help from my physician. And then my physician says, oh, six week checkup. You're good to go. Let's talk about prophylactics. And, you know, you know, when you're having sex, let's make sure contraception is the conversation first. And you're like, oh my God, can we yeah. just talk for a second how my <laughs> vagina is dragging on the floor or, or, or that I'm peeing myself or that yeah. I have this intense pain in my abdominals or, you know, I can't even walk straight yet. What you're talking about sex. And I think a lot of parents really get turned off. And I think that adds to overwhelm, Mm -hmm. fear, anger. And for anyone who's listening, I mean, when we talk about the pain signs, the research is clear for anybody who has anger or fear as part of their emotional profile, their perception of pain is heightened. You just experience more pain. It's really interesting that you mentioned that because I was just reading about that and I was like, I really need to bring someone on the podcast to talk (laughs) about pain. (laughs) I have someone for you. (laughs) Okay, perfect. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the other thing. We're talking about physical rehabilitation. I think it's so remiss for any physical therapist or body worker to just ignore the mental health component Mm -hmm. of physical health. Right. And as an athletic therapist and as an athlete as well, I think I kind of always knew that, but I just, I'm not trained in it. I didn't know how to articulate what I kind of knew and what I felt in a succinct way that was helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, But certainly as the years have gone on and now creating coursework and running classes for 
uh, cesarean birth athletes, particularly that first chapter of my course is entirely just the psychology of healing. Wow. It's only psychology of healing. Oh, it sounds incredible. If you haven't checked out the Pilates and Movement online studio and all of the goodies inside of it, make sure to check out the link in the show notes below. I want to pop back a little bit and we were talking about expectations of healing and having an idea of when that healing will take place and being able to align yourself with that throughout the recovery and and feel good about it. And, you know, we have the regular people and then you have athletes who are very used to a very good mind body connection, very good kind of sense of control over their body and what that must be like to suddenly have no control and to have your everything thrown askew. So do you have any opinion about this or any insight into that experience? Where to start? Where to start? I mean, certainly working with athletes primarily and being an athlete myself, I was speaking to a sport psychologist recently and her name is Sarah Charles. And Sarah, Sarah said something very interesting. She defined athleticism and I really liked what she said. She said, athleticism is pushing your body as hard as you can. It's the curiosity and enjoyment and just that under drive and passion to challenge yourself to the nth degree. That's what athleticism means. Yeah. And when you're pregnant and certainly after you give birth, that's just not possible. You are physically injured. So suddenly for those individuals who identify with being an athlete, that's a huge blow to your identity. That's a huge blow to your ego. It is actually no different than forced retirement from your sport. And for those Mm -hmm. of you who have experienced that from any level of sport, Mm -hmm. you know, we talk about professional athletes, people who go through a lot of mental health challenges, you're losing your identity, Mm -hmm. the core of your being. Yeah. And then the other part is actually, it's like grief. You go through yeah. a, a massive period of mourning. Something has died. Someone has died. It's the old Christina. It's the old Jeanette. You don't actually think you'll see them again. That grief can be so intense. So, you know, when we talk about the psychological part of childbirth and injury. I always say, hey, listen, athletes. Let's just use a couple of analogies that you do understand, because the one thing that you do know and you know that doesn't work is pushing yourself to the max. For any cesarean birth athletes out there, I know you have tried to get up and go up those stairs through the pain and you have hurt yourself. And you probably sat there very upset with yourself saying, I should be able to walk up the stairs Mm -hmm. in my friggin' house. Mm -hmm. What is wrong with you? I know all those vaginal birth athletes who say, you know, I'm just going to try to walk around the block. That's not exercise. I can do that. And then the vaginal bleeding is worsened for days after. And you're just, you're literally sidelined. Yeah. And, and the sense of like, I can't believe I can't. It's so great. So to those athletes, I want to say, listen, listen, childbirth <laughs> is a season ending injury. Two key points there. Season meaning you're done for the season. Don't try to go back. No, you're not going to go and watch any practices. No, you're in rehab now. Season ending injury, meaning you'll be back next season. 
Mm-hmm. And I think when people hear that first, they mourn, they go, I honestly thought I was going to be back in six weeks because I thought that's what the six week checkup was for. Right. And, and to a certain degree, we all kind of know it's not going to be, but we really want it to be yeah. okay. Right. <laughs> and we hear the doctors say you're clear to go exercise and we do try to run and it's not good. But when you can, when you go through that mourning period, you go, okay, Jeanette was right or whatever, you know, yes, this is a season ending injury. Then suddenly you can come out the other side and make a strategy. Then you can make a plan. You go, cool. Running season starts next, whatever, March. Yeah. It's November now. Okay. What do I need to do? November, December, January, February, March. I got five months. Jeanette, Mm -hmm. let's put together a plan. And then there's that sense of empowerment. Then you see the light at the end of the tunnel. Then you understand that the, everything you do is towards a goal mm-hmm. and that makes it well for athletes. Everyone loves a challenge. They're like, yeah, yeah. let's do this. <laughs> I know I can just show yeah. me how athletes yeah. are highly coachable. Yeah. The hardest thing about athletes is holding them back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So it's the season ending injury. Yeah. Back. Uh, I have a friend who had a baby. And probably about, I'd say like two and a half months after baby was born, she's like, okay, I'm ready to start running now. And I'm just like, she's not the kind of person who takes to advice. So I couldn't say anything to her, but I was dying inside because I'm just like, don't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's just so much that needs to happen in the body to prepare yourself to run. There's so much and, you know, having gone through a whole pregnancy and having, you know, your whole posture changing, changed for prolonged periods of time. And then your body, of course, is a wonderful thing that is going to adapt and is going to adjust and is going to be like, oh yeah. So, okay. So I've got this big belly. Well, I'm going to adjust my muscles and I'm going to create a situation where I'm not going to hurt myself. But then, Mm -hmm. you know, suddenly baby's out. (laughs) And now you've got all of these adapted muscles and it's not great anyways. <laughs> but so <laughs> your girlfriend, did she go for that run? She ran, didn't she? Yes, she did. And then yes, what happened? Did. I haven't talked to her about it since. And you know what? But I think you and I know what happened. Yeah. She didn't run again after that. <laughs> she didn't run for a while, but she had to prove it to herself. She just mm-hmm. had to because she's an athlete. Yeah. Any athlete would, they challenge themselves. That's yeah. just the athlete mindset. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, to your point, you're like, I wanted to tell her, no, don't stop here. I'm going to throw every piece of research at you. I just hope you read something here. Go, here's some really great, you know, Instagram accounts and some really great <laughs> websites. You know, she's going to run. Yeah. Let her go. Yeah. She's going to come back and she's going to trust you and say, all right, mm-hmm. I know you have the resources. Mm-hmm. Let me take a look at them. Yeah. Well, and you know what, there's the thing though, about being an athlete and being feeling ready to move before your body is ready to move. Yes. 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 And this is obviously feeling like she needed that, right. She needed to get there. Right. Go ahead. (laughs) Yes. No, I I just wanted to talk about yes. And that's also a mark of a mature athlete versus an immature athlete. And I use the word Mm -hmm. immature, not as a term of judgment, but just for what it actually means. It's the opposite of wisdom, opposite of having gone through experiential situations where you have that knowledge, that wisdom, right? Lived experience. So the athlete knows better 
most of the time. The athlete has kind of two parts of her. It's the body, but it's also the brain. But the body always knows best. <laughs> the brain is just really stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> That's also a part of, you know, being a novice athlete that you're going to do silly things, not smart things, bad decisions. When I used to play rugby and I played rugby, I started playing rugby when I was, I think, 19, but I would be on that field with national level players. And they were some of them, you know, 10 years plus older than me. It wasn't that they worked necessarily harder, but damn, did they work smarter? Mm-hmm. They're just smarter. It wasn't that they physically couldn't. It's that they just knew better and yeah. they listened to their bodies. Mm-hmm. And that's just wisdom. That's yeah. just wisdom. So, you know, to all the athletes out there, I think it's really important to think of your childbirth as a major injury. So draw from your past experience of that major sports injury that you have gone through, because then you will know what to expect in a certain respect. You will be a little wiser in your choices then. Should I sleep or should I go and party? Right. Should I do my five minutes of rehab or should I, you know, go on the Netflix? At the end of the day, as a mother, I had a lot of excuses. Yeah. Very few of those things were reasons why I couldn't. A lot of them were excuses. And I come from a place of love. Truly, if I was like, do I have time? No. Biggest reasons why we don't do our rehab. Don't have time. Don't have energy. Mm -hmm. I can't afford it. That's the other one. Yeah. And then to that, I say, okay, is it truly a reason or is it an excuse? And I'm not here to judge anybody's answer. I'm just there to pose a question, right? Do some self-reflection, listen to your wisdom. Yeah. You'll know the answer. So good. If you haven't checked out the Pilates and Movement online studio and all of the goodies inside of it, make sure to check out the link in the show notes below. Let's talk about scars and what happens. As you mentioned, abdominal cesarean birth is a massive abdominal surgery. So clearly, and we're talking about multiple layers here of tissue. Yes. Right. So tell us about the scar and how it impacts recovery. How how it impacts everything. Yes. Everything. (laughs) Recovery. Movement. (laughs) Yes. You know, from a clinician standpoint, it is a very interesting sort of injury. Why? Because, well, as you said, it cuts through multiple, multiple layers. It cuts through everything. Skin, fascia, fat, muscle, fascia, organs. And that's just like an abbreviated version, right? And then you get to your baby. As a matter of fact, the surgery itself involves three main incisions. And I don't know that many people appreciate that because we only see the singular external incision, but it's three incisions. Wow. And incision, so there's usually one that's horizontal outside, goes through skin and fat. And then there's usually a vertical one down your linea alba, separating your six pack from left to right, opens up the abdominal wall like a curtain. Mm -hmm. Then your uterus is exposed. And usually there's a third horizontal incision across and through the entire thickness of the uterus. The baby is birthed. The incision on the uterus is sewed up. The incision down the linea alba is usually not. And then the external incision is sewn or stapled and or glued. It's up to the surgeons. 
choice. So then what is scar tissue? Scar tissue is your body's incredible super glue that holds all these incisions closed again. And, you know, what I try to describe to everybody is, you know, I think a lot of people think, oh my God, scar tissue, let's get rid of it. And it's got such a bad rap. I mean, like, no guys, you need that scar tissue. That's why for the first six weeks, don't bother it. Let it do its thing. You don't want those incisions to open up again. And after six weeks, you know what? They're not gonna, which is pretty incredible considering you used to have a gaping hole in the front of your body six weeks before. So scar tissue is powerful, powerful glue that your body makes. Now, here's the flip side of scar tissue. If you never moved it ever again, it is super cool. It it sticks to absolutely everything. It just sticks. So it can impact, for example, your posture. If you never moved your incision again, you're doubled over with pain and you're in that crunched position, it becomes very painful and difficult to stand up straight. Secondary implications of that. Well, how are you going to be moving? How are you going to be exercising? How are you going to be doing your sports? How can you activate the correct musculature to do X, Y, Z, right? So you end up with a lot of compensating muscle movements that can affect any part of your body. So that's first is postural. The science also shows that scar tissue, if left untreated, meaning if you're not going to mobilize it at all, if it's going to stay adhesed, what happens is it can cause chronic pain. Where? Specifically in the abdominals. So it actually hurts to touch your abs because it's so sensitive. Mm -hmm. And then of course, there's going to be secondary pain, most probably in your back because you are doubled over yet trying to stand up straight. Probably pain as well in your hip flexors. As time and years go on, you can probably have impact on the discs in your spine, in the fascia in your, you know, front of your body. Hernias can be a thing as well. And the other interesting thing that the science shows is that scar tissue, if left untreated, can have impact on your digestive system and also on your reproductive system just by the location of where that scar tissue is in your abdominals. So, you know, I'm not saying all these things to strike fear in everybody going, oh my God, I never did the, you know, scar massage, you know, and Jeanette says scars, it takes, you know, six months for everything to kind of get permanent. And I've missed that six month window. Oh my gosh, there's nothing I can do. So no, I'm not trying to strike fear in anybody. I'm trying to explain and empower to those who can make a difference in that first six months post cesarean. Please, I implore you, five minutes of massage and movement per day will make a huge difference. You can do this yourself. You don't have to see a professional for that and have them treat you with their hands. Mm-hmm. It'd be helpful. So you can learn. Yeah. But honestly, you know, you can do so much. So I want to empower everybody with that piece of knowledge. And then secondarily, I think, you know, we were talking about scar tissue versus fascial restrictions. Fascia is a little different than scar tissue. So scar tissue is kind of like a, it's super glue. So it's like a nothing tissue versus fascia, which is living and breathing. It's very thin, but super powerful. And there's so many different layers and they glide on different interfaces and and they provide shape and stability to different uh, tissues in your body, that, because it's living and breathing, can be changed or impacted for years after a cesarean. So know that there's always something you can do. Scar massage is one part, movement is the other part. And quite frankly, after the six-month mark, I would argue the movement is actually way more important. Yeah. 
yeah, the correct type how, of movement. How soon do you recommend people start massaging the scar? Ooh, this is the million dollar question. I actually poll people all the time in my Instagram. What do you think? You know, what do you think? So, <laughs> so it's a trick question. <laughs> when I ask it anyways, it's a trick question because yeah. how soon can you do direct massage, which means manipulating your tissues with your hands or in your tools? Or are we talking about indirect massage, which is mm. moving the tissues without touching it, such as with belly breathing? Mm. So if we're talking about indirect massage, i.e. belly breathing, how soon can you start your scar massage? The answer would be right away. Mm. As soon as you are comfortable enough to do it. Everybody is different. Everybody is going to experience different levels of pain after a cesarean. Every body reacts differently to pain medications, whether you're taking it or not. But belly breathing, as soon as you're comfortable. Direct manipulation of the tissues, wait till you're cleared by your physician, usually the six week mark. Okay. That's what I say. I love that because I've just been talking <laughs> about breathing a lot on my Instagram and yeah. talking about all the benefits of breathing. And I've just added another one, another yeah. benefit to breathing. <laughs> Yes. First rehab exercise after your cesarean, after vaginal birth too. I mean, to your point, you know, nine months being pregnant, your body thinks it's pregnant after you give birth. You don't give birth over nine months. It's instantaneous in comparison Mm -hmm. to how long it took to get to that final pregnancy shape. So Mm -hmm. when there's compensatory movement patterns, you're going to relearn how to belly breathe. Yeah. For sure. Your diaphragm's mashed up to your throat, you know, your pelvic floor straining under the load of, you know, this baby and not just your, this baby, the average person gains 25 pounds or more, right? There's so much going on with that. Well, and when you think about the connection with the breath, right, your diaphragm moves down when you inhale, your pelvic floor moves down when you inhale, your diaphragm's all crammed up inside of your rib cage. Like it's not moving the same way it used to. Your pelvic floor isn't responding, you know, appropriately. It's just, and that just feeds into a whole other bunch of issues. So, yeah. Yes. Breathing is honestly the like most important exercise to do correctly. It doesn't take a lot to learn it correctly. And when I say it doesn't take a lot, I would say 80% of all moms postpartum, you'll get it pretty much right away. Mm -hmm. It's the remaining 20%. It's like, you know, I had a complex birth, I had a you know, a predisposed situation, like even prior to being pregnant, I had X, Y, Z untreated injuries, right. Or, mm-hmm. or just aches and pains. I never really dealt with and certain movement patterns that were always my jam. And now it's just really being, you know, amplified because of pregnancy, you know, that kind of stuff. And you know, those people, yeah, we need to help a little bit more and it's so impactful. Like you do the few sessions with a movement practitioner to learn how to breathe properly. And ugh, it's huge. It's huge. For me, actually, I just want to share this with everybody here. I have been going through health issues of my own for the past few years. After having my son, I had this really bad respiratory illness, like a lung infection of some kind, lasted for two full weeks, but the wheezing never went away. And it got so bad to the point where I was put on in puffer, treated as asthma, knowing that I didn't have asthma. It just never went away. X-rays came back negative you know, the respiratory spirology tests came back, you know, you're fine, Jeanette. But my symptoms were, how come I can't run any faster 
than a six minute, 30 second kilometer. When I used my race paces were like a 420, a sub 420. Wow. Yeah. How come I can't run for five minutes without having to stop because I'm so exhausted? How come after any workout, I have to go home and nap for two hours? Oh, no. What is wrong with me? And the doctor mm-hmm. would say, You're fine. So, very recently, Christina, the therapist finally took her own therapy advice. <laughs> and started breathing. I ass- <laughs> right. I assessed my own alignment, breathing, and core control. So alignment, ABCs, alignment, breathing, and core control is what I lead with any kind of injury, specifically for postpartum. Of this is so, 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 so impactful, but really for any kind of injury. Yeah. I checked out my own alignment. And what do you know? I stand with like a big thoracic extension or a yeah. rib flare. Well. Mm-hmm. Think about how that's impacting my respiratory diaphragm. I thought I was breathing right this whole time. It was just four years of not breathing right. Four years. A doctor couldn't assess that. Is it their no. fault? No, that's not their no. wheelhouse. No. Or the respirologist or the x-ray technician or the, you know, oh my gosh, I saw all manner of people. Mm-hmm. So to your point, sometimes like your body knows when it's not a hundred percent, but yeah. the other challenge is finding the person that can help you. And I mean, a lot of people also feel like they've reached a dead end, right? Because, you know, they've seen all the doctors and they've seen all the, all the people, all the specialists, but then, you know, they forget about the athletic therapists and the physiotherapists and and all all of the people who have this knowledge, who are not being shouted out from the rooftops (laughs) at, you know, enough. If you haven't checked out the Pilates and Movement online studio and all of the goodies inside of it, make sure to check out the link in the show notes below. Yes, I feel like yes. there needs to be um, <sighs> some kind of program to just like create packages of information and resources and walk from doctor to doctor and midwife to midwife and say like, you need to give this information to people like this must be the next step. It doesn't matter if you're involved, but you need to at least facilitate the transfer. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, I have my own answer to that Mm -hmm. because I think to change how healthcare is delivered in Canada is a massive, incredible feat that requires, I don't know how many bureaucrats, et cetera. So it won't be done in our lifetime anyway, Christina, that's Mm -hmm. the point. Oh no. Right. You and I, however, yeah. have these things called, you know, our Instagram account, you have a mm-hmm. podcast, we work directly yeah. with clients. And even mm-hmm. though it may be like, okay, impacting a handful of people at a time, the point is we are nimble and quick. And so yeah. are all the listeners here. And you don't have to be a healthcare practitioner to make a difference, everybody. My biggest mission is honestly, yes, public healthcare, maternal healthcare is substandard. So you have two choices. Do you complain about it and be angry about it? Well, you can start out there and recognize that there's a problem, Mm -hmm. but all of us can make a little bit of difference that makes a massive cumulative change. So do you know what I always advise to my athletes and to the people who tell me, I wish I knew, but I didn't. So I tell them this, well, now you do know, pay it forward. Yeah. So pay it forward. Yeah. Tell people. Yes. You are three years postpartum. We're not at, you know, Mm -hmm. three years ago. I am not helping you from the very beginning, nor Mm -hmm. can I, and nor should you dwell on that. It's not going to serve you, but you can Mm -hmm. help that mom who just gave birth. 
You yeah. tell her, this is what I learned. This is the information. Here's where I got it. You might want to read about this. Yeah. Talk about it to anyone who will listen. Go to your family doctor. Hey, listen, I heard this wonderful podcast involving Christina and Jeanette. You know, here's the podcast link. You might want to listen to this. You, no, don't, you don't have time. Just send it to all your patients. Yeah. Right. <laughs> listen, each one of us can make a difference. Yeah. And to have all of us sit here and go, oh, the doctors are the bad guys. They should know better. No, no. Yeah. Doctors want it to be better for you too. Yeah. Maybe they've, Maybe they just don't know. Maybe they don't yeah. know. Yeah. Are you going to fault them for that? You're going to help them. Yeah. Right. Can you go onto your mom groups and say, hey, check out this post? Can you? Yeah. There's so many ways we can all make a difference. We make a difference every single day. And that mm-hmm. gets compounded. That's yeah. how public health care is going to change. Yeah. All yeah. of us have a voice and all of us can use it. Yeah. So Absolutely. no, this is not about, oh, it's too late for us. Yeah. Wait till yeah. our children. And, oh, I hope it's better for them. <laughs> No, we have this thing called the internet. Yes. <laughs> and it, it is, we are living in a time that is so phenomenal for mm-hmm. knowledge and knowledge translation. On average, it takes research 14 years to go from a published paper to practice when we're talking about medicine. 14 years. It takes us 14 seconds to say, hey, I read this or, Hey, I did this with my patient. Hey, why don't you try that too? Or let's talk yeah. about it. Yeah. We are doing advocacy work by just translating knowledge that we already know. Oh, incredible. I love hearing that comparison. <laughs> no, and well, rant, but also that comparison, like 14 years to 14 seconds. Like that's mm. amazing. That's amazing. And I feel like, I mean, I love research. I come from a research background and so you know, anytime I can read a fun piece of research and share that information out in the world, I feel like it's uh, a good day, you know? Yes. <sighs> and don't and give are, that up. Yeah. Do it. Keep on yeah. doing it. Because all that message needs to do is fall on one set of ears mm-hmm. who then takes action and you've made a difference. Yeah. You've made a difference in somebody's quality of life, Christina. Mm-hmm. All of us have that power. Well, and you specifically have your amazing online programs. So tell us about your programs. You've well, got two, I have, right? Two I programs have two or more? cesarean recovery okay. programs. Two okay. cesarean recovery programs. Yes. One is for, I call it a foundational program. So it's for, I envision every patient that leaves a hospital in this world would be getting this program. This is what Mm -hmm. I refer to as the gold standard program. It's based knowledge stuff. I think everybody with a major abdominal surgery should get. Yeah. The other cesarean birth recovery program is for athletes. It's a little more in depth. Athletes want to know, they want to know the everything, right? They want to know how much, how soon, you know, exactly what, you know, so that it includes like a flow chart of all the massage techniques that you'll be doing for the six months. Every single exercise you're doing, there's like over 50 of them, but also how to go from one or the other. Right. Cause that's important. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also live classes with that. I think it's very important to be able to connect with your coach, right? What, what kind of athletes are like, Oh, here's my workout program. Six months. Great. See you later. You know, it's so important to have a coach to be able to say, Hey, I have these questions. It's yeah. so important to be part of a team. You log mm-hmm. on every week and you see your familiar faces, your teammates, your other 
athletes that have gone through the same surgery as you. Right. Sometimes they're in Scotland, sometimes they're in Arizona, sometimes they're in Toronto, but you're all there on that same Zoom call. And there is honestly such an incredible camaraderie that happens and inspiration that happens when you sit there with a screaming baby and you go, you know what? But I can. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's program number two. Actually, four programs. The first program is the ABCs. Right. That's just like the everybody takes it. Everybody who's gone through childbirth takes it. Mm-hmm. Alignment, breathing, core control. And then that's kind of like the feeder course into the cesarean birth programs, as well as the fourth program, which is my diastasis recovery program, known right. as the proactive mom's method. Right. That's also a six-month program. So good. So what are your testimonials like? I'd love to hear what, what people think of your program. Honestly, sometimes I, I have this little email file folder. When I have a bad day, I read it and it's this <laughs> testimonial. Seriously, I read it and it's like, you know, those days when you feel like, I don't know why I'm still doing this or like, I don't, I can't, I'm just so tired. Or like, I, yeah. I don't think this is working. And then you realize you've made such a difference in somebody's quality of life forevermore and therefore the quality of life for their families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really heavy stuff. And uh, I know you understand as a mother because it's just, you do things to ensure that the lives of your children are optimized. And yeah. then it comes a point where you realize that can only happen if your own health is optimized and prioritized that kind of mindset piece is also something that a lot of people write in about to me and it's just so uh it's just you know when someone comes and works with me at week one post cesarean and they're weeping because it hurts so much and then eight months later they send me a photograph of i just finished my first 10k race and they're there proudly holding their baby boy so amazing like it's a lot of crying yeah oh yeah I feel like I feel like happy tears (laughs) oh absolutely so much crying you know I have a client who was involved in a car accident prior to working with me she'd never told me about the car accident and the constant pain that she was having in her neck and shoulders she finally decides to share this information with me and I was like okay let's work on some stuff. This is minimum what you need to do. So I got her doing a whole bunch of stuff, rolling out balls and like self-massage because we were in the middle of COVID. She can't go anywhere. She starts doing my little program and she's, she gets back to me. She says, Christina, I have not been pain-free for more than one day in like three years. And all I do all day long is think about the pain that I am in and she's like, so now I have been able to expand that time, that pain-free time. Her mind is clear of this pain that she's been carrying around. She's a mom of children, you know? So of course, uh, clearly I cried. Like this was like a, <laughs> it's a weeping kind of situation. Yeah. But to be able to make a difference like that in somebody's life with really super simple stuff, you know, yes. this, somebody should have shared with her a long time ago. It's uh, so I feel that I feel that. And I'm glad you have that little folder with all of your <laughs> testimonials. <laughs> we all have bad days, right? We all do. We all have bad days. We all have bad days. But it's so yeah. important to know that, you know, you've made a difference and you will continue mm-hmm. to make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. 
So I have a campaign called the move better, feel better campaign, where the sale of my tank tops, the proceeds from those sales go to women's mental health and specifically to women's college hospital foundation. So what does move better, feel better mean to you specifically? I think it was the entire podcast we just yeah. had. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The mind and body are inextricably linked. Yeah. Can't have one without the other. Yeah. To separate them and treat them separately, to silo your even body parts from other body parts, but certainly from your heart, from your brain. It's just not, it's the same darn thing. You're treating a mm -hmm. human being. Yeah. When I work with my demographic, when I work with an athlete mother, moving better and feeling better means to me that their entire families are experiencing that. Yeah. When I think move better, feel better, I envision a mom who is maybe pushing her toddler in a running stroller and the whole family's going for a run slash bike ride. And the toddlers, let's say, on another child's on a bike. Yeah. And that evokes a feeling. You're feeling better. You're feeling good. You think of that picture and you go, oh man, that freedom and that confidence and the joy that comes from moving better mm -hmm. that's what so that good. means to me so important okay i know when people listen to this they're going to want to know more about you and where <laughs> to find you so tell us where we can do that well i lead on instagram mm -hmm. so at ask jeanette ask jeanette a lot of questions any questions anytime i'm very active on it I do engage quite a bit with regards to Instagram lives, posts of all kinds in terms of uh, pregnancy and postpartum rehabilitation, cesarean birth, and diastasis exercises. So definitely reach me there or my website, www.jeanetteyee.com. Thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. That's it for today, folks. I hope you learned something new. And as always, thank you so much for listening in. It means a lot to me. So to learn more about me and my work, you can find me at mattersofmovement.com. And in order for this podcast to reach a wider audience, you can show your support and love by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. See you next time so that we can continue to explore all the matters related to movement together.